In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. For uh, the last several weeks, I've been thinking about doxology. Doxology. We could say praise means the same thing. It's just that doxology seems to be a much more elegant word. Doxology. So why thinking about doxology for a number of weeks now? I don't know for sure. It could be that uh, as I read through the Bible, I keep bumping into doxology. Doxology is all over the Bible. The Psalms. The Psalms are filled with doxology. For example, Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the trumpet sound. Praise Him with the harp and lyre. Praise Him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise Him with the loud cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, you don't get much more doxology in one place than that. But it's not just in the Psalms. We have doxology woven just all through the Bible. In places it pops up where you don't even expect it. For example, the, the little book of Jude in the New Testament. We, uh, we read Jude uh, right before Lent. Uh, every 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 year in Vespers. Uh, it's a severe book. One chapter long, but it's full of denunciation of sin and sinners, condemnation, judgment, punishment. But right at the end, it's kind of surprising. Here's what we have right at the end of this harsh little book. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory, blameless with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty, dominion and authority, before all time, now and forever. Amen. Doxology. It's kind of relief after all that, all that judgmental nature in the book. Paul through his letters, you read his letters, and, and he's always just almost spontaneously just breaking out in the song of doxology. For example, uh, in, in, in the first chapter of Romans, Romans is maybe his uh, most technical theological uh, work. In the first chapter, he has a weighty discussion of those who live without a knowledge of even Christ. And toward the end of that discussion, he just burst out with a burst of praise to the Creator, Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Later in the book, Paul spends three whole chapters talking about the problem of the Jews. Messiah came to the Jews. The Jews didn't receive Messiah. Instead, the Gentiles received. What's going to happen to the Jews? Are the Jews going to be saved? Are going to be lost? He spends three chapters Sometimes very technically in his theology. But right at the end of this, he just breaks out in doxology. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For from him 
and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So much. All the way through. Of course, it could be that I was thinking of doxology because uh, I come to church quite regularly. And uh, doxology is woven through everything that we do in church, especially the liturgy. Have you ever noticed that almost every, every, every prayer, there are a few that don't, but almost every prayer we pray ends in doxology. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with thee in the unity of the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Amen. The Lord's Prayer ends in doxology. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You just can't open the missal without seeing doxology. Glory be to God on high, on earth, peace and will towards men. We praise Thee, we bless Thee, we worship Thee. Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of Thy glory. And how many times, how many times is the liturgy just interrupted by doxology. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. But we don't spend our whole lives in church, maybe in Lent. Can we take church? Can we take doxology out of the church? Can we take it with us when we leave the church? What about at the supper table? Families gather, eats the meal together, talks about what's happened in the day. In the school's chapel here, it comes right in the middle of lunch. The, those younger children have eaten their lunch before, and I think the older children, older kids eat their lunch after chapel. So, uh, Part of chapel service is, is blessing uh, of the lunch. And this is the way part of that blessing goes. The eyes of all wait upon thee, O Lord, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand and fillest all things living with plenteousness. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost. It's from Psalm 145, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I think supper time would probably be a good time for doxology for any meal. How about the hospital? You go to visit sick, go to visit the dying. Is that a place for doxology? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. How about vacation? We ought to leave doxology behind when we go on vacation, right? Diane and I used to hike a lot in the Rocky Mountains, and there was one hike that we were particularly fond of. It was a hike, tough hike up to Timber Lake in Rocky Mountain National Park. It was a five-mile hike each way. Uh, trailhead was at 10,000 feet. Timber Lake was at about 12,000 feet. It's a hard hike. When we got up there, there was a small glacier lake there had big flat rocks all around it 
the, uh, the mountain still went up another thousand feet or so back behind it. The trees, they were stunted because we were right at the, right at the, right at the timber line, but they were still very beautiful. We'd get up there and we'd eat our lunch on one of the big rocks. And we were usually still there by the time the obligatory afternoon rain shower came. At that altitude, a lot of times that rain shower would be snow. You know, I don't think we loved doxology all the way up that mountain. But when we got there, doxology was waiting for us. How about prison, jail? I was in jail once. Let me put that another way. <laughs> I was visiting a man in my church who had gone to jail. Better? I, I was kind of surprised. Never had, never had that experience before. It was just like in the movies. The, the thick glass window, the telephone there, and we sat on a little stainless steel stool that was bolted to the, bolted the floor. Wasn't too good a place to have a conversation, though. And doxology? Is that a place for doxology? The jail? Paul and Silas thought so. You remember the story from the book of Acts in the New Testament. Paul and Silas had preached the gospel in Philippi and Macedonia. And for it, they got arrested. They beat them. They threw them into jail. And at midnight, Paul and Silas were singing praises to God, doxology. And the prisoners, all the rest of the prisoners were listening to them. And all of a sudden, there was an earthquake, and the doors of the prison sprang open. Their chains all fell off. When the guard saw what had happened, he was about to kill himself because he figured everybody would run away. And Paul cries out and says, don't, don't, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. And he gets a light and he goes in the jail. Everybody's there. And he says to Paul, what must I do to be saved? And Paul said, believe in Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And he was baptized. Baptized that very night. Damn, Christian. I went to a seminary at SMU. We had chapel at SMU. I think it was every week, not every day, every week. A lot of, a lot of the seminarians never went to chapel. A few always did. Uh, I was somewhere in between. There was kind of a feeling among the students. Chapel? We don't have time for chapel. We've got this theology to learn. You know, we didn't realize. We didn't realize that we didn't have chapel because we were studying theology. We studied theology because we had chapel. There were few every year that left seminary without finishing first year, some in the second year. Studies too demanding? No, no, that wasn't it. My roommate the first year, Jimmy, he was a brilliant student, a lot smarter than I am. 
fact, we went to high school together. He's valedictorian of our class in high school. No. One, one, one studies. Discipline problems. They got in trouble. No, they were, they were good fellows, all of them. They opted for a more lucrative profession than ministry. No, that wasn't it. I think that they made the fatal mistake of assuming that faith meant talking about God. And they had no experience with talking with God. I was in a bookstore a number of weeks ago, and there was on the shelf uh, display, actually it was displayed, you know, front cover outreaching. Uh, title of the book, God. That was it. Title of the book, God. Now, what preacher can pass up a book like that? It was really more about the history of man as man related to God. And it started out, even before history, he started talking about the cave paintings that we have that are prehistoric. They date back, oh, 40,000 years or more. Uh, most of them in Europe, some in Asia, some even over here, several places in the world. You know, I'd always assumed, I'd seen the pictures, the crude pictures of animals and hands painted on the wall and unidentifiable creatures. I'd always assumed that these were decorations that the caveman had for where he lived, kind of like caveman wallpaper. No, it's not what they were. These caves weren't where people lived. They were where people worshipped. Some of these cave paintings are way back in the inner recesses of the cave. Very difficult to get to. Wasn't where people lived. What the cavemen were doing. They were leaving their doxology on the side of the cave for us thousands of years later to see their doxology. I know a man who went to a concert one time, woman singing show tunes and popular music of the time. He was a preacher. And he was surprised when right in the middle of the concert the woman sang a, a song. He wasn't familiar with the tune, but he knew the words very well. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From whence help comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. After the concert, he got the opportunity to meet the, the, the singer. And uh, he asked her, what, what made you put Psalm 121 right in the middle of your concert? Uh, are you afraid at all that people will think that's, that's inappropriate in such a concert? Her answer. Several years ago, I made a promise to God that every time I performed, I would include at least one song of praise. And if you knew the kind of person I was and the things that I did, if you knew how my life has changed, since I gave my life to God, then you would know. Psalm 121, it was the most appropriate song I sang all evening. 
So from the caves where early man left his doxology on the walls to a stinking prison in Philippi in the first century where at midnight doxology just erupted from two of the prisoners to a singer singing show tunes and in the midst of that weaving in her doxology. <coughs> doxology is part of who we are. It's part of our life. It may be that to be truly alive, you ought to have doxology. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.